Hello and welcome to Miss Checkpoints, the video game book club podcast. Today we are finishing our discussion of Syndicate. I'm your host and joining me today as always are the homies. First off we have Dante. This is a nice co-op experience. <laughs> Next we have Greg. What up? And last but not least we have the homie Trevor. What's going on? So, like I said, we are wrapping up our discussion of Syndicate. We actually, a uh, little spoiler, we actually were able to play through the entirety of the co-op, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Um, I guess we can hit into some of the gameplay things. Um, we played the first half on the first part, so the second half, gameplay-wise, uh, did you guys have any... Uh, I know me and Trevor, the way me and Trevor approached this game, we weren't using the dart as uh, uh, much as Greg and Dante, and that was something that I, specifically, I changed in my gameplay, and I felt that combat got a lot easier when I started utilizing dart. Um, Did you uh, have any changes in your gameplay, Trevor? Not at all. I used dart about the same amount, except on bosses, I think. I think I tried to use it as much as it was available on bosses. Did you um, feel like they were still bullet spongy, though? Or did, did that still come into effect? Honestly, the weapons felt better. So I wasn't as concerned about using dart. I 100% agree. Um, I don't know why. Like, I feel like the, the game introduced some cooler weapons in the... I, like, the, the weapon that shot around corners, the assault rifle... Um, I thought that was a cool weapon, but for some reason, like, the, the old tested and true, the, the sniper, um, the, they had, a uh, like, a submachine gun, there was um, a, a revolver or, like, a magnum that they introduced in the second part, and that drastically <laughs> increased my attitude about the gunplay and how the guns felt, and I kind of kind of going back a little bit i said i didn't really like how the guns felt in the first part i loved how they felt in the second part shout out to the flamethrower yes 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 indeed uh what about you uh trevor yeah the flamethrower and that revolver that revolver was putting in work yes uh did you guys how did the guns in the second half feel for you guys uh, i'll kick it to you dante i didn't really prefer like the set of guns they give you on the first half first second half they both had their like good sides and bad sides like i didn't like the new pistol um i think the main like assault rifle that you occasionally get it was roughly about the same so i didn't really notice too much of a difference on the gameplay end to be honest i think maybe i had like the the water pill effect i guess maybe where it was like now that I knew how to use the guns, maybe that's why I thought maybe they felt better and not necessarily that they actually were any different. But I, I noticed that it drastically changed how I viewed the combat in this game, which I did already like, but the gunplay just kind of jumped up after this. Uh, what about you, Greg? How'd you feel? Um, I like some of the power weapons that they introduced towards the end of the game. Like there's kind of that, uh, I think it's like kind of like a laser weapon. Um, I kind of like that. Uh, you get a rocket launcher type weapon um, midway through the end of the game, which is also pretty good. Um, I like the SMG that I think you get around, I want to say it's milestone 11 or not 11. It might be a milestone 12 or 13, but um, 
Yeah, I kind of like the weapons. I ended up towards the end sticking with the assault rifle and shotgun for the most part, but um, I did like some of the variety that they introduced later on. Yeah, I, that SMG, I put the, the alt fire with that. You put a silencer on it, and I was just wrecking fools with that. I love that gun. Um, but uh, do we, uh, not to move too fast, but is there any other gameplay things that we need to talk about that changed for you guys? Um, there were some elements that story-wise, like uh, some some breaching stuff was more useful in this game, and I know we'll hit that when we're talking about the story, but is there anything else that sticks out to you guys that we need to hit on? Were there any more enemies that got introduced in the second half? Um, There's one enemy, t- well, one that stands out that I was going to hit on when we when we got to it, when we got to it story-wise. Um, okay, then we, we can address that We can just jump into the story, then, you think? Um, I'm trying to think design-wise if there was anything. Actually, there is one thing design-wise that I want to talk about. Are we talking about people kicking us through doors? Um, no, like, (laughs) one of the things that, uh, what he's alluding to is, uh, for some reason, it seemed like every door that you ran into, you had to manually open, which your, your character had to manually pry it open with his hands, so it ended up, you know, you walk up to the door, you hit X to engage with it, then you got to mash X or whatever button to uh, pry it open. And I feel like there was, I, I don't know, maybe you did that ten times in this game, uh, and I feel like three or four times you immediately got ambushed where uh, you either got kicked in the chest or, like, immediately got thrown into, like, a quote-unquote cutscene, like, from the first-person point of view. Where like you're interacting with a, a, a bad guy or agent, um, or you immediately open the door and then there's enemies on the other side shooting at you, and it, it seemed like it was just like always, always happening, and I didn't really appreciate that. But the um, the gameplay that are the the thing that I didn't like about the second half of this game is I felt that the environments were so damn generic in the second half of this game and it's like almost the opposite i kind of talked to dante about this uh in our little chat but uh it's like the opposite of when we play bought commando so like in buying commando and i feel like uh it was unanimous that the first part of that game the environments was very bland and drab and just like it wasn't very interesting um, but then it picked up in the second half, and I feel like the exact opposite for this game, where in the first half, you're, like, fighting on, like, a um, laboratory, like a futuristic lab. You're fighting in the, the back uh, of a, like, a syndicate um, floating base in the middle of the ocean. You're fighting in, like, a train station. You're fighting uh, bright L.A. You're fighting in the slums of New York. But then in this in this second half, it's basically you're for the most part in New York and it's either like old warehouses, dingy hallways, uh, like the most prototypical, like when you think of like a cyberpunk or like a futuristic, like depiction of New York city, where it's like, you know, like steam billowing out of like manholes and like neon lights and just a lot of shady, dirty figures, people warming themselves up over like, you know, trash cans that are on fire and all that. Like that was basically that, or you were in like a super futuristic business building. And that was pretty much one of the two you were, you were in for the most part. 
Uh, did that throw anybody else off, or did you guys notice that, or did it not even did it bother you guys like it bothered me? Uh, I'll kick it to you, Greg. Um, so like towards the beginning half <clears throat> of the uh, the end of the game, like I guess I didn't mind the kind of like city slum looking areas, but I definitely got some fatigue towards the the later end because. I think once you go to Eurocorp, which is like the last, uh, I want to say last three or four uh, milestones of the game, it's just office building, basically. And it's just kind of, and that kind of with the amount of combat that you have to do in these areas, it just like pretty much added to my overall fatigue at, uh, at that point in the game. Did you feel that way, Trevor? The only thing that wasn't, um, or at least that didn't feel redundant, was like when you're crawling through the vents like that part was refreshing i guess but other than that yeah i agree there was one instance it was when you go outside and you um i guess we'll talk about it later because i think it's it deals with the enemy that you wanted to bring up but that area was probably that and like the slums when you meet up with with lily drawl um those two were probably the only areas I actually liked on this section of the game. Dante. So, I can't say that any of you are wrong, but, like, from our halfway point to the end of the game was maybe, like, two, two and a half hours. So, it, at least to me, wasn't long enough for me to, like, not care about it or feel fatigued from it. Um, I mean, you're not wrong, but I kind of want to push back a little bit just because we had so, I'm about to say so many, but maybe not that many, but it felt like we had a lot more variety in the first two, two and a half hours of this game than the back half, the back two, two and a half hours. So like in comparison, it was like bland and redundant, but ultimately you are correct. Like it was only two and a half hours of gameplay. So it wasn't like a huge huge deal but it's just like it it stood it stood out a lot to me trevor i think another thing too is the only areas where you can actually interact with stuff are when you are in like those futuristic office spaces like none of the other areas have anything that you can really interact with yeah that actually was a shooter man well i mean it's a little disappointing though because like i i the one part of new york that i thought was cool when you're in that underbelly's area was like when you first walk out of like this this tunnel or this hallway and you're you start seeing those buildings and like there's neon lights so there's a guy like peeking into like a like a strip club s environment and there's a whole bunch of like cool neon lights and like buildings and it, it, it had a cool vibe to it and then immediately you walked into another building which is like a futuristic version of a church where like there's these three dudes kneeling and they're, they're praying to a tv screen of a guy i guess giving a sermon or whatever and i was like that particular part was like this is what this game needed to do throughout so like it, i guess maybe it was like the environments were not only generic and samey but there was no like life in them or whatever like this this particular part was like the most life i saw in this second half of the game than i saw you know anywhere else and i and i really enjoyed that specific like you're only there for like a minute there's like nothing you do you literally it's just a point that you're running through as you uh progress through the level and i was like this is cool like 
and you know, but then you don't you don't get that later on. You know, you're just business building and you know just shooting dudes and oh, occasionally there's like you know civilians running trying to escape the the, the battle, but like that's about it. Um, well, I guess we can hop into the story then. Um, so we last left off, I guess we can kind of quickly recap the first part. Um, so there was a mole leaking, uh, Eurocore's prototype of the Dark Six that Dr. Lily Draw was, um, creating. It got leaked to Aspari, a rival syndicate. Uh, the mole ends up being revealed as Dr. Lily, but she isn't aware that anyone had found out that it was hers, so she was trying to play it cool. Um, Denim, the executive in charge of Eurocore, tasks you and your partner Merritt to run surveillance on her home, and you witness her being kidnapped by the Global Cayman, or, actually, I think I said this the entire time, the first half, I believe, or the first part, their name is Cayman Global, I think I was calling them Global Cayman the entire first part, so that was my mistake. The Cayman Global. Uh, so you chase them down to their floating base in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and we were last uh, left off where they had taken um, Lily to an elevator, and you were playing through the, the back recesses of this facility, and you were chasing her down. So uh, we are picking up for Milestone 11 and playing to Milestone 20. Uh, it picks up, really, it's a super short mission, actually, and, um, you just take out a couple of enemies, and then you start experiencing, like, the weird HUD-altering capabilities that the, the jamming enemies have, where when you're in their radius or their, uh, zone of influence, then you can't use your powers, and, um, this is uh, an, an example of, uh, I think you open up, or you try to open up a door, and you get kicked in the chest, and then you end up having to fight a Cayman Global Agent, and uh, this fight is pretty interesting. Um, he, you're basically in a, like a, you are walking around on like basically a shape that's the shape of a barbell. It's two like platforms on either side with a like walkway in between them so you can get to either side. And he's at a higher vantage point than you and he shoots missiles at you and you basically have to breach or AKA hack the missiles in order to redirect them back to him. And, uh, this fight takes a lot of, uh, it requires a lot of breaching and like repositioning because you have to like constantly be on the move. And he's jumping from platform to platform that are above you trying to get a better vantage point at you so he can shoot missiles at you. And I think Dante alluded to this in our chat, but I think he said that this was more of a, puzzle than a fight because it was basically like uh you you had to constantly like i said you had to constantly be on the move and you had to be able to either dodge the missiles or breach them as quickly as possible uh, how did you guys feel about this fight and I'll, I'll start with you trevor so regardless whether or not this is more of a puzzle than a fight it was fun okay <laughs> that's all you harsh <laughs> I was waiting for Dante to <laughs> to dispute it. I'm gonna dispute I, it. I like the fight. I I like that they like force you to use your powers in a specific way that you haven't used previously. Also, like that um, it's not a very big arena, so your focus is on the do the entire time, and you kind of have to you you figure it out as you go and. It probably requires you to die at least once or twice, at least 
that was my experience. But um, I thought it was well done. It's not the most complicated of things. You're really just you're going into Dart to slow down time, hitting LB to um, deactivate the rockets that he's um, sending at you. Actually, you're re- rerouting them to send them back at him. So it's kind of like the final boss in Ocarina of Time in a weird way. And yeah, I was okay with it. And it, it gets progressively harder. So like, you know, the first couple of rockets he shoots at you, you breach him once, it hits him, and then it gets to the point, he, he says his line of dialogue, and from that point on, it gets more difficult. So it's like a, a battle between you and him, where like, you breach the missile, he like, it's heading back to him, he breaches it, it starts going back to you, you breach it, it's heading back to him, and it's like a back and forth with him. And then it gets to the part where he's like, literally, I think he just like, Oh, and like he's like, oh, you done messed up now. Or I don't, he doesn't say that, but it's basically like he just shoots like, like eight or nine missiles at you, something like that. And you have to like, this is where I <laughs> like froze up. And this is I, I died a lot at this part. At this, uh, I think this is the most I died in this game. Um, I think I died like six or seven times at this part because I wasn't aware that you could breach every single or you could breach all the missiles. So I was, you know, I'd get a icon that said breach and I would breach it and it wouldn't give me another one for any of the other missiles. So I'm like, I can only breach one of these. So I have to dodge the rest and I can never dodge the rest of them in time or whatever. So, um, then when I found out, Oh, you can breach multiple missiles. And so I could, you know, breach four or five, dodge the other three. And then he's getting pelted with missiles. Um, I'm assuming you had some issues with this too, Trevor. I didn't have any issues at all. Oh, like, so you I just want to flex? I got you. <laughs> I don't think I died at all. Like I, I thought it was just a really cool challenge, like trying to catch all the missiles and send them back. And then there was also that one platform that he was standing on. Um, the one with the computer thing. Yeah, where you could shock him. Did you use that at all? Yeah. So um, one of the things that I noticed too was that as he's taking more damage, like, so there's three main platforms and then that computer platform that Trevor's talking about. So like when you hit him enough times on the other platforms, they go away, like they get destroyed. So he can't stand on those platforms anymore. So you're basically kind of, kind of like a puzzle. Like Dante said, you're trying to force him to jump to that computer platform. Cause from there you can breach it, shock him, And then that, I think it ends the fight. I don't think, um, I think that's how you get your final blow on him, but uh, it took me a while to get to that point, and a couple times when I did die, I was trying to dodge missiles and trying to breach that at the same time, and I either got hit by missiles uh, before I could breach it because I'm paying attention to where he's at, not the missiles, and it, it got a little bit, not frustrating, but like I, I, I goofed a bunch. Uh, Greg, did you have any opinions about this boss? Uh, you guys kind of pretty much like said most of what I was going to say. I mean, I, I liked the fight. Um, I didn't really find myself having too many problems. I think I died one time when he throws out that jamming device and I was trying to be a little overzealous and trying to disarm that before paying attention to the missiles. Um, I, yeah, I but, completely forgot about that too, that jamming device. So <laughs> that also killed me a couple times too. Um, um, he, he has this jamming device that he throws out on one of your platforms and you have to run over to it and stomp it out. And so otherwise, when you're on that platform, when he shoots missiles at you, you can't breach the missiles that he's shooting at you. 
So and there's a little bit of strategy in that as well. Um, other than that, I mean, no, I mean, I liked it. It was, uh, I think it's probably one of the better boss encounters in the game. I think at this point, definitely, definitely. Um, but, uh, after you beat him, um, you attempt to take his chip and he starts beating you up and out of nowhere, Dr. Lily, you hear two gunshots and Dr. Lily shot him in the back and she saves you. So, uh, she's free, I guess. And, um, you follow her to an airship to escape the, uh, Cayman Global Base. And, uh, I guess during the escape, you learn that the Cayman Global Syndicate is prepping up for a war against the Eurocore Syndicate. So, these two syndicate, these two factions are about to be at war. And, um, so once you guys get on the airship, you guys head to New York to try to get to the Eurocore headquarters. Uh, but the Cayman Global Hunters, uh, they have blocked your access, so you have to get take to the streets, because you can't take a, a direct beeline to the headquarters. And at this point, like, Dr. Lily, she, I mean, she has a gun with her, and she's talking to you, you guys are working together, and, you know, like, I immediately thought of it, maybe this is me being stereotypical, but I was like, hey, I got this black chick on my side, and she's down, and she's helping out, and I immediately thought of Alex Vance from Half-Life 2. Did anybody get that? Because I was like, I mean, I thought she, what I thought that she was going to be like, I was like, yo, Alex is like one of the best partners I ever had in a video game. So I was like, oh, snaps. If she's anything like that, I'm, I'm down. Because like, there's a point where you had to like boost her up to like this this ladder. So then she get on top of this building and you guys kind of split up and decide, hey, we're going to meet up at this later point. So you do your thing, I'll do my thing. So she seemed like a very capable sidekick or partner to have so i, I kind of got happy because it's like oh she's gonna be like alex but maybe that was just me um no nah, there was a uh, one level where she was actually putting in work on like the the smaller enemies like she was just taking them out with one shot uh-huh uh-huh okay okay so i'm glad it wasn't just me okay um but yeah, so you're you're in the street level of New or the streets of New York. So this is kind of where we start seeing the you know the old warehouses, the dingy hallways, uh, the lower class uh, citizens where they live, the unchipped citizens, and uh, you know the neon lit shady underbellies and everything. And um, you end up making your way to this, I guess, like this bridge or this uh, this walkway that leads you to the headquarters and so you're running down the walkway and you get to almost to the very end and then all of a sudden you see it's rigged with explosives they just pop up out of nowhere and they explode and it collapses the bridge and you with it and (laughs) um you find out that oh you got betrayed dr lily set you up she was working with the cayman global hunters and they set you up so that explains why she was quote unquote taken by the Cayman Global. They were setting up the Eurocore agents that were surveilling her, and they were setting up. Um, yeah, it was a setup the entire time. So um, you start milestone thirteen, and you are severely injured. I mean, you're coughing up blood. Your Dart Six is no longer working. You don't have any weapons, and your immediate uh, objective that pops up is you either have to kill or capture Lily. And then uh, from there, you, you get up, and then you're in this room, and dudes just start ambushing you. And, like, this is... I think this is the the one and only time I got, like, a melee kill in this game, because uh, 
you had to like take take a dude out to get his gun, and uh, you as you continue on this level, like you're you're fighting in a lot of like like I said the slums, sewers, and uh, just like not a, a lot of dark. Uh, dark environments, gross environments, um, and uh, as you're moving along through this level, you start to get some of your core dark sick functions back, so like you get the um, the ability to go into dark mode, so you can do the slowdown and all that, but then you get backfire, but you, you still don't have access to your other two tools. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, these next couple of levels from here on is it's a lot of the same environments uh the next the next stage you um it's more warehouses and sewers but then you run into the enemy type that i was alluding to earlier which is these enemies are like a okay go ahead trevor you got something you want to say i just had one thing so like while you're in the sewers did anybody like actively kill any what the game refers to as hobos no, but I thought it was weird that it's kind of, I don't know, it's like the game almost, I wouldn't say they encourage you to do it, but it's just kind of like, hey, if you want to do it, that's cool, you know, that's on you guys, but they, I just thought it was kind of weird. They absolutely do encourage you, because it's like one of those, like, where you're walking up and you just, like, I was actually trying to eavesdrop on their conversation to see if they were actually, actually talking about anything, and then that little, um, um interactive icon pops up and says, Hey, you know, execute this, this person. I didn't actually do it to see if they would all turn against you and start attacking you. But I just thought that was really weird that, you know, they would kind of put that in there to the point where you can just, just start taking out civilians. One of the things that I thought was weird was the first part. And I have a theory about this second, why this happens at least in the second part, but in the first part when you're dealing with the hobos, when you shoot a gun or whatever, they, like, kind of cower in fear or whatever. But then in this part, like, a lot of times when you see the hobos, you're not in combat or anything, so you haven't got their attention. But it, I, I did think it was weird that you could execute them. And, like, I don't know why the game gave you that option, but, like, you could. But I have a, a theory uh, why, but I will talk about that later. Um, and I actually, there was one thing I wanted to say too. I think Dante was saying that it was weird that this game came out when it did, but I, one of the things that I saw, it was weird that the game came out when it did because of how the game was. And, uh, so this game came out in 2012 and when you're in that futuristic church, you see a lot of wall writing and stuff. And that was definitely a common trope that was happening in video games. It made me immediately think of like Left 4 Dead and like when you're in the safe houses and everything. But I know that's something that a lot of games were doing at that time. So like it was definitely like a, a uh, at least even though the game stood out as like, hey, this is like, this game shouldn't be coming out at this time period. It was definitely doing things that other games were doing at the time. So I thought that was interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, back to the sewers, you run into that, this new enemy type, they're, like, camouflage slash invisible, so, like, when they are invisible, you, they don't pop up on your dart, they're immune to it, so that you don't get to see them, but then once they take damage, or they uncloak, I guess you could say, you can see them again, and the area that you're fighting them in is covered with these EMP mines that, if you get within a certain uh, range of them, they go off, and it's actually, I think it's the, the way it's depicted in the game is it's pretty effective, um, 
So like it overloads your dark six so you can no longer use some your abilities for like te- temporarily like five seconds or whatever but the screen your 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 screen flashes white and it slowly fades out from white so like not only are you losing your ability in the game to use like you're you're losing the ability to use your abilities in the game but you're losing your ability to see in the game as well because you can't see like when you're in a firefight or whatever you you can't see and you're like and I thought it was a super effective, like, I mean, I know that's what, like, flashbang grenades and, like, it's that same effect, but I thought it was, like, super effective in this game because, like, at that point, you can't, like, you're just blind firing, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and this is also the part where you just have um, backfire, right? Yeah, you still only have backfire. You, you, you still don't have access to persuade or suicide, so you're already fighting with a limited tool set so like losing that one ability you have is like a big deal greg um was anybody else bothered by the fact that you didn't have your other two abilities because like i don't know i felt like at this point in the game i was kind of attached to the way i played with um persuade and uh suicide but um see i I really liked it because i felt underpowered for once I guess that makes sense, and it, and then it also kind of makes you like really appreciate it once you get them back towards the end. I I honestly I didn't feel like at this point I I never felt like there was only a few instances where I felt like there were enough enemies that I needed to have all three of my abilities to take out a room. I I felt like a lot of these encounters you weren't overwhelmed with enemies like you were in the first part of the game so having this one ability wasn't just this one ability wasn't like a huge detriment to like me plus at this point too i'm I'm starting to get a hang of using dart and everything so like i'm enjoying using the guns and it was like oh i just have to use these guns a little bit more so it didn't bother me that much um but how'd you guys think about these enemies uh it, it was kind of interesting because a lot of the environments that you fought them in, it was littered with these EMP mines, and you could breach them, and then they would blow up, and you could go about your way, but they would eventually come back. They were on, like, a timer, so um, you could, in theory, you know, breach something and be in a fight, end up getting pushed back to that section, and if you don't turn around and breach it before you get back there, then you're <laughs> you're getting EMP'd. Um, what do you guys think about these enemies, though? I'll start with you, Trevor. My favorite enemies. Really? Like, I I just thought their cloaking ability was was done really well. The fact that you still can't even see them, like in dark mode, and you can barely make out like a a reflection or whatever you kind of see, like where the the background looks off a little bit. You can kind of tell like there's a silhouette there, but I just thought it was really well done. What about you, Greg? Um, I liked them as well. Um, I kind of like, like Trevor was saying, I kind of like the effect that they had and, um, and not to like, I guess go too far ahead, but the boss fight that you have to do, the upcoming boss fight, um, he has that same ability and I kind of like that in that encounter as well. Uh, there's something you want to say, Trevor? Yeah, also, they actually give you those um, EMP grenades. And that adds another layer to that fight. 
because you kind of have to use it if you want to to reveal them, I guess. Gonna be a hundred percent honest with you guys. I did not use a single grenade in the. I did not even know. Like I, I remember telling you guys how to use grenades. Like I googled it because the game never tells you how to. Like as far as I know, the game doesn't tell you how to swap two grenades. Like you know you can pick them up, but I don't know how to get to them, and so I never use them at all. Uh, Dante, you, your thoughts on these enemies? Um, I really don't have a strong opinion either way on them, to be honest. Well, I'll be honest. My favorite enemy was any enemy that was holding a minigun, so there. Those were the best enemies. And then probably the second best enemies <laughs> were the enemies that were holding the flamethrower, which is you basically right after you fight these thermal guys for the first time, you run into a sewer, and you're like running, you see some flames, but you're like whatever, like a pipe or whatever, and then you run closer, and then you just see that this flame is coming at you, and it's like, oh, there's a dude there, and he has a flamethrower. And then my first immediate response was like, it wasn't like, oh, there, you know, there's a dude there. I need to get out the way. It's like, oh, snap, they got a flamethrower in this game. And I, I got, like, kind of excited. And so I took that dude out, and I ran through the rest of this level with the flamethrower. And it was, like, it's basically, lit. my yeah, it's lit. <laughs> <laughs> it's my second favorite gun after the minigun. So, like, and it's, it's weird because normally, like, I do like miniguns, so usually in the, in the game, if they have the, an option to have a minigun, I'm going to pick it, but I'm not a flamethrower guy, but for some reason, I I, I really like the flamethrower in this game, so... I, I, I feel like it. it's got, like, really good range to be a flamethrower. Like, most of the time, when you have a flamethrower in a game, it doesn't have, like, great range like, at all. damn near shotgun range, right? Yeah, <laughs> but I felt like this was almost, like, SMG range. Like, it was, you know, pretty good at taking people out. From, like, yeah, and range. it was awesome, too, because, like, I didn't even have to worry about the camo guys, you know? Because it was like, I don't necessarily need to see you because I'm just holding down this trigger and anybody in front of me is getting toasted. So, it, it was... I really and you're not that. joking about them getting toasted. That was one of the best, like, I am on fire and I am very unpleasant right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, dude, like, and it was funny because, like, I think one of the next, like, at the very end of this level, you fight a dude, like, he's on, like, a, like, an elevated balcony and he has a sniper and like i just ran up to the bottom and just shot the, the flamethrower up like i just aimed up and i got him and i was like yo this this thing is it's too good it's too good and i i think this is the only time you run into it in the game but i was like this is i'm going to cherish these 30 or not 30 these three minutes of using this because it was, it was super fun um so let's see where we're at where we're at so Okay, so that ends Milestone 14. So, okay, Milestone 15, you start off in a, a factory, and they have one of these, they, another puzzle. And actually, one of the things that I noticed, I don't think at all in the whole first part of this game we had any type of puzzle element, but it seemed like every couple of milestones they would throw one at you. So th this one was very straightforward. There was a... Uh, turret that you couldn't breach uh, in the middle of this factory, and you had to go basically up and down these aisles uh, that you couldn't get over. They were uh, conveyor belts, and you had to walk all the way down, back, all the way down, back, all the way down, back. And uh, you could, on these conveyor belts were boxes, and you could hit a button or breach the conveyor belt to send the box a little bit forward, and you could walk behind the box. And it's like a super simple puzzle. I mean, we, we talked about this in 
way back in our first game, uh, Beyond Good and Evil, uh, had this type of puzzle in their game. And I, I, I thought, like, it's not, like, you know, revolutionary or anything, but it, it was a, it was nice to see that they were throwing in more of these puzzle aspects in the game. And uh, so I did appreciate that. Um, but uh, you, you go from a factory into this office building, uh, this abandoned office building, or, like, library almost, and um, you find out that Dr. Lily has been working with her ex-boyfriend, Chris Delaney, a.k.a. Logos, which he was a, uh, I think when you're in the church, way back in a couple chapters ago, um, they had like a wanted poster for this person named Logos. He was like the top priority that these syndicates were trying to find. But uh, he's the revolutionary leader of the TWB, that stands for Towers Will Burn, and it's a terroristic cell affiliated with a global anti-syndicate organization. And basically his whole deal is that he started this war that, like, I told you how the Cayman Global were going to be at war with the um, Eurocore. He started this war, and he, basically he wanted to hack into the Dataverse and kill syndicates. And he wanted their chip population... He wanted to kill syndicates and their chip populations as punishment for abandoning the chip. So he was like a super hardcore um, fighting for the rights of the the unchipped. And like in this game, the unchipped are viewed as being the hobos and all those those people that you could kill that we were talking about um, that we saw in like the sewers and in the the slums. All those people are unchipped, and uh, Lily. She kind of agreed with him. She wanted to find a peaceful solution, though. So she wanted to find a solution where the syndicates will care for you, or the syndicates will care equally for the unchipped and the chipped, and they would help out the unchipped and uh, basically help them in their plight. And uh, so you you find all this information through, I think this is like the only quote-unquote audio slash video log in the entire game where it's played out, you can see these two standing next to each other talking. They're, he's giving his spiel, she's giving her spiel, they're, they're arguing and all that. And then you eventually get into the next room, you see both of them. Uh, Chris is like, I got this. And then Lily kind of escapes while he holds you off. And this is uh, this is the fight that Greg and Trevor were alluding to earlier. Um, this is a boss fight with Chris Delaney, a.k.a. Logos, who, I guess, um, he has the camouflage uh, ability that those enemies had as well. So, you fight him in a super, like, tiny, tiny room. It's almost like a a house, almost. It's like a, there's like a kitchen and, like, a living room. Or I, I, don't, I don't know what it was before, but it's kind of like just a super cramped area. And there's those EMP mines all over as well, so you have to... Um, breach those if you want to move around in the level. And one of the benefits, though, because he's camouflaged, is if you breach one and he's close to it, it reveals his position. So um, how, how did you guys feel about this fight? And I, I guess I'll kick it back to you, Greg, because you were so excited to talk about it earlier. Um, Like I said, I think this was uh, another one of the boss fights I liked. It was just kind of fun having to kind of hack the like the EMP mines a little bit so you can navigate around you also had the EMP grenades to try and expose them as as well and um kind of like I was saying earlier I like the uh the cloak effect that uh those enemy types had earlier 
Um, and it, it definitely wasn't one of the boss fights that overstayed his welcome. I mean, he was, he didn't seem to be like that much of a bullet sponge. Um, so it wasn't too annoying. So, um, like I said, I kind of really liked it. Personally, I felt like he was the easiest or like the, the boss that was, I shouldn't say easiest, but the least challenging where I, I felt like fighting him was very straightforward and I never felt like I was a threat to die against him. What about There's you? There's definitely one other boss fight that was super easy, but yeah, this is probably one of the easier ones too. What about you, Trevor? Yeah, I agree. Um, I liked it just as much as I liked the other cloaked enemies. Um, Dante would probably tell me he could have he was probably a little bit tougher on on the harder difficulty but I think you know he could have been a little bit more aggressive cuz all he did was throw grenades at you and it was pretty easy to disarm the grenades All I'm going to say is he didn't even feel like a boss to be perfectly honest like he had moves but it, to me that fight felt incomplete in a lot of ways it was weird I never felt threatened i never felt like i was going to die that i was in a crisis mode like i i didn't even really need to run around i just need to hide behind a pillar occasionally shoot at him when he like he was available to shoot at when he was doing damage to me he'd do damage and then he'd disappear before he could finish me off and i'd just recharge by the time he got back so i'm personally not a fan of this fight but you know it it wasn't terrible it was just there was nothing there. It might as well have just been an encounter against an enemy with a really big health bar. I I kind of I agree with you. Like uh, there, I feel like every other boss required you to get behind cover, except for this dude. And uh, so a lot of times I was standing in the middle of the room because from the middle of the room you had the most uh, line of sight to the the rest of the room. You had the, the biggest line of sight to the rest of the room. And so a lot of times I would basically just stand here, hack this, uh, or breach the uh, EMP mine beside me, look around, see when he pops up, when he starts shooting at me, and then immediately when he starts shooting at me, I swap over to him, go into dark mode, and just unload bullets on him. He'll disappear, turn my dark mode off, and rinse, repeat. So, like, really, like, for me, it was mostly, like, I just had to move around the room to get pick up ammo. That was really it. Like, there was, I didn't have to stand behind cover to fight this guy. And I, I don't necessarily feel like it was a... It, it felt like an incomplete boss, like you said, Dante, but I don't think it was, like... Like, I mean, I was on hard, and as long as I had dart mode enabled, I could literally just stand in front of this dude and trade blows with him. And that's, yeah, that's a problem. But uh, I do feel like the... the create not even creativity just the encounter itself i felt like oh this is cool he's the camo enemy and they have the minds here so there's a little bit of caution here but they didn't fully execute it and i like i do feel like this boss and the last boss the one that you said felt like more of a puzzle i felt like those two bosses were the most interesting boss fights in this game but i definitely didn't like Whereas I died at the the last boss a bunch because I I messed up at the puzzle aspect. And this boss, like, it was interesting, but it wasn't difficult. And, like, that's more than I can say for a lot of the other bosses where they were either difficult and not interesting or, you know, only moderately interesting and not that difficult. So I think this one had a little bit more going for it than the other bosses. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, you you defeat Logos, a.k.a. Chris, and he basically he falls to his knees and he yells, you're being, you're being used, Kilo! And then he kind of, he blows himself up. And um, you extract his chip and you go into the next room, you catch up with... Uh, go ahead, Trevor. So, I'm just going to admit, I died the first time he blew himself up. Because I immediately ran to him and tried to take his chip. Scrub. And so I had that almost to... happened to me like I was running towards him as he exploded, I think. Yeah, I ended up having to do that entire fight over. At least he got the nuances of that super hard fight, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you, you uh get his chip and you, you go to the next room and Lily's in there and you disarm her and hold a gun to her head and then you get the option to shoot her or not. And um what did you guys do at this part? I, I opted not to shoot her. I mean, can you actually shoot her? I didn't try it. I just, I didn't shoot her, but I was going to assume it's one of those things where they give you an option, but it's going to be the same outcome regardless. I thought I they were going to, for- I thought they forced you to shoot her because it just said hold R2 to shoot. They never said like press L2 to put down your weapon. So Yeah, I just yeah, let I- it time out like the end game. You don't see a timer, but I kind of just let it time out uh trevor did you opt to shoot her i wanted to but i hesitated and it timed out on me okay i actually watched the playthrough of somebody trying to shoot her and um when you try to do it your dart messes up and then she kind of says like she built the chip and included safeguards how stupid do you think i could be and (laughs) so like you you can try to shoot her but you don't actually shoot her so either way she ends up living and um uh, so you guys are kind of talking a little bit, and like uh, Merritt, he crashes the building because uh, you're in like a, a an a warehouse that has a glass ceiling or roof, I should say. And him and the Eurocores they crash the building, and uh, he basically in, uh, <clears throat> knocks both of you guys out. <clears throat> and then we are on milestone 16, and you guys are finally in Eurolab. Unfortunately, you guys are being held captive. Uh, so you wake up in the Eurocore lab and you're in restraints and you give, uh, you, you are hearing, uh, Denim and Merritt and a scientist talk over your body. And I think they are restraining you because they think you're broken. I think is the, what I read about this. Um, cause at this point you don't have all the capabilities of your dark six, all your dark six abilities, so they're aware of that, and so they're, like, trying to fix you. Uh, they're trying to reboot you, I guess you could say. Um, but uh, when you, you they kind of leave the room, and you kind of phase out, and you get a flashback. And in this flashback, uh, it's a flashback of Denim and a bunch of Eurocore operatives, and they're breaking into a house, and they, they like, this wealthy couple, and they, they shoot the man, and uh, the woman is in the next room. She's trying to... Uh, save or protect her child and they shoot her and kill her as well and they steal the child and you find out that the child is you kilo and uh he was you were stolen or abducted uh by eurocorn denim because your genes have made you an ideal uh prospect to become an agent Um, what does that even mean in the grand scheme of like I don't care about the story of this game, but they never implied, like, there's some, um, nanomachines, son. 
that are going through you as a child? Dude, I and this this is one of my problems with the story in this game. Cuz I feel like the pieces are there, but I don't necessarily feel like it's executed. But like we can we can let's finish. Like, did anybody care about um, dude's Hell backstory? No. Kilo? Hell no! I was like, nope. why are they even bothering? Wait right a now? minute! Wait a minute! Actually, when they introduced the scene, that that's what kind of got me more interested and want to know more about. Okay, where are we going with this? See, it's, it's the the one part that because it, it's like kind of like a twist because. So you go from you're you're in first person when you're in restraints, and immediately you flash in the first person, and you're an agent and did or an operative, and Denim is talking to you as you guys are about to breach this house, and so you're thinking that you're still Kilo, and then you find out at the very end the twist is is that you are just playing some nameless operative. You find out that Denim, this is the this is this repressed memory that you you didn't have or that you had forgotten of you being stolen from your parents or you know and your parents being killed by Eurocore. However, like it didn't. I'm with Dante. Like this didn't really. It didn't trigger anything for me. I had like, I was like okay. Like it was it's really because like, they didn't earn it at all. They just like exactly. It's like, hey, care about this character. He had a tragic childhood story. He had a tragic event happen. Like there, there's no at this point. Like, and I think we talked about it a, a little bit in the beginning of the game or in the first part. There's not enough information about Denim and Je- and Merit. And even, like, Lily. Like, Lily, I think, is the most fleshed-out character in this game from start to finish. But there's not enough information for you to really have any type of feeling about these characters other than, hey, Merritt seems like he's going to be the douchey, you know, good guy that goes rogue or goes bad. And, like, that plays out, like, almost like you when you see him on the train shooting all those civilians and everything, like, he's already fitting into that stereotype. And then Denim... Only two weeks ago, just saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then Denim, he just seemed like the super uh, shady businessman that by any means type. And, like, we see that played out, but it's just kind of like he is who we thought he was, you know? Like, there's nothing that is, this isn't new or, like, this isn't surprising. So, it was just kind of like, why do I need to care about Kilo's parents being killed when I don't even know anything about Kilo? Developers making a story about corporations owning everything, and you work for a corporation, and them ending up bad? I would have never guessed, especially not in 2012, you know? <laughs> yeah, so and I, 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 we will, we'll touch onto this a little bit later, too, because I, I definitely have some feelings about this story that we need to discuss when it's all said and done. Um, but uh, you, you, you get out the flashback, and you're, like, I guess angry or whatever now. So you, you break the restraints and knock out the scientist that's in that room with you. So now you're walking around this uh, facility, and you see a bunch of other restrained, uh, I guess, people. Like, they're varying ages, uh, uh, adults all the way down to children, toddlers even, that are restrained. And um, so I guess... You're seeing like, oh, this is something that not only did it happen to me, but it's it's happening to a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are being quote unquote uh, uh, 
I don't know. I don't. What's the word I'm looking for? Tur- being turned into agents that are loyal to being ba- brainwashed to be loyal agents of Uricor. Indoctrination. Thank you. Indoctrinated. Um. So you get to a, a gate and you can't uh, proceed anymore. And you see Merritt is talking to a restrained Doctor Lily. So you you breach into a camera and you find out like he's kind of interrogating, torturing her. And then uh, he kind of kicks her to her, like, cell and to be indoctrinated. And after you leave, after Merritt leaves, you kind of break in and you you free her from her restraints. And uh, she basically, she she finds out that you found out or you know that Denim killed your parents. So she kind of pumps you up to say that we we need to go against Denim. We need to go against Eurocore. And uh, so, so she, the more we're talking about this, sorry, I keep interrupting, but go ahead, go ahead. This go ahead. this part is frustrating to me. Like I don't care about the story, but how much hand waving they do of just like, oh well, they walked away, so you can free this person and you can break out of these chains for really no good reason. My because dude. we need the story to continue. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was it like really kind of like a convenient thing. The, the the part I don't like is is that so. In the beginning of the game, it seems like Dr. Lily is pinned as an ally to you because she's working on the prototype and all that stuff. Then she goes against the entire corporation, and that's supposedly, like, you know, that's a bad thing. And then you're, you know, trying to save her or whatever, and then she ends up saving you. You know, she helps you get... You're trying to get back to Eurocore. Then she betrays you, and she basically starts this entire war with her ex-boyfriend... This war between Eurocore and um, the Cayman Global, and then you guys kind of—it's not even like you have a mutual understanding at that point. It's just like literally like you're led to like I need to capture or kill her, and then you see this cutscene of you know Denim killing your parents, and now you're friends with Lily again. Like I don't understand. Like they're they're. It just goes from A to Z. There's no explanation of, like, why you want to work with Lily. Like, you break her free, and then she immediately, like, she's all buddy-buddy with you again. And I and I don't understand it. But, you know, she, you break her free, she's, like, pumping you up. She's like, well, Denim killed your parents, so we got to get him. We got to take down Eurocore and all that stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. It just seems, like, like you said, very hand-wavy. Uh, but at this point, too, like, I mean, as you saw in this room, she reveals that all Eurocore agents have been abducted as children and have had their memories modified, so they will be loyal to Eurocore. And basically, she kind of explains her goal with the Dart 6 prototype was to help citizens uh, that use it to retain their humanity and care about both chipped and unchipped civilians. So, like, this is still going back to, it's almost like a classism thing. It's like, Everybody that has a chip is basically on a better standing or foothold in society than anybody that isn't chipped. Because as far as as far as we know, as far as we've seen, anybody that is unchipped is a poor hobo that lives in the slums. Like there is, as far as we know, there are no um, members of society that are you know contributing to society that are un are, that are unchipped. Um, so, uh, basically from there, she leads you to the machine in this room and she helps repair your dart chip. And at this point you get all your abilities. And this is 
ultimately, this is a like 10 minute, 12 minute sequence. It's played out. There's no action. Uh, so this is the third and final chapter that has like no, there's no shooting, no, no action in it. Um, this was the most story heavy, story heavy, uh, no action cutscene or, or uh, milestone. Um, there was one other guys... milestone in the back half that um, didn't have any gameplay. There was. I think it was chapter eleven or twelve, and I it had no, to be twelve. No, it, you're probably thinking of eleven. I have them all. Like what happened in each and eleven? All you do is fight. That dude, the the boss. Every other one, there's there's stuff you do. I swear. All right. <laughs> but did you? I mean, besides like this, the story delivery. Like, is, do you think this is the most graceful implementation or like execution of this style of chapter? Or how do you guys feel about this one compared to the other two? I'll start with you, Trevor. I think this. Um... Remind me again what happens in this one, like as far as the um, non-combat. The only act, like the actions you take? Yeah. Really, the only actions you take is you break out of the restraints and, you know, you incapacitate de- uh, the scientists. You're walking along this walkway looking at all the... Oh, still inside uh, of that... Um, yeah, like, okay. yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying after after leaving there. Um, no, no, no. After that cutscene, and then coming in here and seeing like some of the the other people that are in there, I thought they were going to give us a little bit more information about other people. Like, okay, this is like a not to say it would have been more like Assassin's Creed, but like this is you know another subject that was here, and you can free him and. And, you know, these have become your allies and all of a sudden, you know, you would just lead this group. I don't know what I was expecting after that cutscene because it seemed like everything changed once it gave you like a lot of story. And I didn't necessarily know where the rest of the game was going at that point, especially when you're in like this really futuristic lab of sorts. Um, what about you, Dante? Um, I mean, I didn't really feel one way or another about it, to be perfect. By this point, I was just kind of focused on getting to the final showdown, because I, you know, you're getting really close, and the game is also moving very fast by this point, so I don't want to say I was completely resigned from the characters and what was going on, but it also wasn't in my, like, the forefront of my thought process at the time. Greg, um, we're still talking about Milestone sixteen, right? Yeah, the one where you're in that facility and you find out the back uh, Kilo's backstory. Okay, yeah. So at <clears throat> at this point, I really don't care much about the story. Like, kind of like what Dante was saying. I, I was, I'm just kind of trying to get to the the finish line at this point. Like, I'm I'm not too invested in any of the characters or the plot at all. And, you know, like you were saying, like Mark was saying earlier, like you can't, you can't really care about this backstory, uh, with Kilo when like you don't have any attachment to the character at all because they haven't built anything up. So 
Um, yeah, I like this wasn't like a very like affecting point for me. Yeah, I I actually didn't even think like what Trevor said, but just the ability to like help out break free any of these other people and like kind of get them to your side. Like that would have been a lot more interesting even story-wise to like roll through with like okay, like these people are on my side too. I don't know. It I I like a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah, honestly, dude. To be honest, man. Yes, yes, yes. Well, well, we'll get we'll get more into it when we finish up when we wrap it up. Um, but yeah, so she takes you to the machine. She repairs your DARP, so you get back to your persuade and suicide abilities. So now you're whole again. Um, and then from here, you go from the Eurocore lab to the. You're, you're basically going with Lily to the Eurocore headquarters, and you're basically your goal. And this is going to be your goal for the next four milestones from like 17 to 20 is your goal is to get to Denim's office to prevent him from activating the kill switch on their dark chips as the syndicate war is underway. So at this point, uh, he's trying to get to the office. You're trying to get to the office and Cayman global operatives are invading the headquarters. And so they're, they're warring with the, Euro, uh, Eurocorp operatives and the Eurocorp operatives are trying to stop you from getting to Denim's office. So you're getting it from both sides basically at this point. And so that that, that is a lot of what you deal with over the next uh, two or three the next two or three milestones, excuse me. Um, and ultimately uh, the, <laughs> you run into another puzzle sequence and this one involves breaching and having to have multiple items. Uh, you're in an elevator shaft, and it's out of power, so you kind of have to um, <clears throat> reroute the power from another energy source uh, along the you know wires and walls and stuff like that. So you have to like this this puzzle sequence is like three or four things that you have to have breached within a certain period of time, and you have to like go upstairs and all that. And it, it's pretty interesting, and like I said, like the, the puzzles in this game aren't really difficult, but it is nice that they decided to start utilizing some of the options and some of the abilities that your character has to kind of like give you a little bit more variety. Because like I think we did not run into a single puzzle in the first half of this game, but like this is maybe the second or third time that we've run into a puzzle in the second half of the game so it, it was nice change of pace uh trevor you have something you want to add yeah i agree with you like i think them utilizing your abilities in this puzzle really showed that they could have sprinkled them throughout the game because even if they would have you know lasted like maybe one this length earlier in the game and then one that maybe lasted a little bit longer even to unlock some of the doors yeah yeah and like the my my only not i mean whatever like this is a short game and it's not particularly difficult but i did feel like the puzzles were just like super simple like however it was nice that they actually had them it, it was almost like this isn't hard but i applaud you putting this in here so thank you you know greg i almost feel like with some of the stuff in this game that like the single player feels like they didn't flesh it out as much. And I guess we'll touch on it a little bit later with the co-op experience, but I felt like they put more focus in like 
developing subsystems and things for the for the co-op than they did actually trying to come up with more interesting things you could do in the campaign. See, I'm I'm gonna kind of contest pretty much everything all of you guys said, but um, I think they really, really, really just doubled down. Okay, first of all, I don't think this game was a very high budget game. I think that they were very limited on budget, very limited in their scope. So, instead of trying to do the AAA thing, which is, hey, let's show all of these set pieces, let's show how diverse our gameplay is, quote-unquote, let's have all these different mechanics, I think they just tried to have a laser focus on those three abilities and double down on the um, mindset of having the 30 seconds of fun and then maybe like the whatever five seconds off and it's very rinse repeat in that regard but I think they nail that 30 seconds of fun for the most part where it never really bothered me that there wasn't like wasn't puzzles wasn't a lot of collectibles none of that stuff it's just this game is pretty much shooter from beginning to end and that is pretty much what should be on the back of the box it's like we don't care shooter we don't care about anything else don't ask us about anything else about this game we got a shooter we got three powers we've got like 10 or so guns but don't even bother asking about anything else Trevor, you want to follow up? Yeah, I think one of the the big things about the game, though, is the power. So I think that it would have benefited them to show them off a little bit more. Like, whether it be, like, just hacking certain stuff, whether it be through, like, puzzles. But I think that would have emphasized, like, the character's abilities more. Not necessarily, like, the breaching abilities that you as the player have, but, like the capabilities of Kilo. That's understandable, but, like, I guess my thing is the three powers that you have aren't really puzzle-solving powers, per se, and, like, it would be cool, or I I won't say it would have been cool, but, like, it could have been cool if they gave them, like, more hacking powers or more chip powers, whatever you want to call them. But I think they just really focused on, hey, we got Breach... We got Persuade, and we got Suicide. Let's just put this person in a lot of different scenarios, these sandbox scenarios, where they can link these skills together, kind of almost like an arcade game, where it's not it's not the most deep experience as a shooter, that's for sure. But I think they nail just the free-form expression that they were going for and linking those powers and giving you those powers very often so you can kind of use them as much as you not as much as you want but more frequently than most shooters would allow you to i feel what you're saying i on one hand i agree like the powers that you have sans breach aren't necessarily beneficial powers for you know solving a puzzle like what can you do suicide or you know persuade like those aren't puzzle solving powers but i do feel like some of the things that they allowed you to do with breach like hacking a turret and turning it to your side or you know um using the hack ability to 
control a camera and, you know, basically be in the point of view of the camera and being able to swap between cameras in a room. I thought that was cool. So th- there was a couple of different things that they showcased throughout the game, which not necessarily they need to, you know, sprinkle it throughout the entire game, but it was like, there's some things here that they can, there are more things that they can do than that, but they did. But like you said, I, I do think ultimately this is a shooter and I feel like they nailed the shooting aspect of this game. I, I feel like the, the the dart ability with the slow-mo and your abilities to, you know, kind of almost use your powers whenever you want, like you said, um, and then uh, just how the guns felt and combat felt, I felt like it was a good mix of, like, these are all the things that you need to hit variety-wise, even with the enemy types, too, including the enemy types and the gun types. These are all the things that you need to have in order to craft a well-made shooter or have, like, a good shooting gameplay in your game, a good combat in your game. Um, but I do think that they kind of fell short on, like, they they gave me a taste of, like, okay, we got a couple of puzzles here in the second half of the game, and I'm like, well, shoot, these aren't, like I said, these aren't particularly hard. These aren't, uh, they don't pop up that often, but it's like, dang, like, why can't you have done, like, five of these things instead of, like, I think we got, like, maybe three puzzles throughout this entire game, and, like I said, they're not, like, the most, they're, they're not even, like, like, I don't even think Resident Evil puzzles are difficult, and they're not even as, <laughs> like, like, like they're not even as difficult as Resident Evil puzzles. They're super simple, but like it was just like a nice change of pace to have this. Even though, like, like you alluded to earlier, this is a pretty short game, but it was nice to have like some of that stuff pop up, even though the game was so short. Yes, what you got to say, Dante? So one, just one more point. I really, really respect that this game does not overstay its welcome. It would have been so easy for the developers to say, hey, let's add, like, three more hours of content by doing X, Y, and Z. But they pretty much, they said, by this point, the person will probably be kind of done with the game. And they stop there. And as somebody who plays a lot of games, I personally appreciate that a ton. Like, I know I, I play more games than you guys do, just, like, in sheer number. So, I've experienced a lot of campaigns, especially in, like, recent years, where it's like, well, this should have ended on hour 12, but now I'm on hour 27, and this game could have been a 9, but now it's like a 7, just because it overstayed its welcome, and I think Syndicate toes the line of never really overstaying its welcome. Damn, it's the, it's as good as Bonnet Commando? Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> I, that was is, just a, okay. <laughs> go ahead go ahead no I was gonna say that was just numbers I was throwing out this game is not a nine no you said a seven <laughs> uh, this, uh, it's closer to a seven one of the things I wanted to ask at the end of this and uh, I will I will, I'm just gonna throw it in now you were talking about games that don't ever say they're welcome it makes me think of Vanquish. That's a game that we played uh, a couple months ago. I think these games are of equal length. I think that Vanquished, it also nails the combat aspect of the game. It's slightly different. It's like more fast-paced. 
but it nails that part. And we, I think that was another thing that we said where even though we, you fought some of the same enemies, uh, over and over, uh, or, you know, you had a couple of enemies pop up more, multiple times, it didn't overstay its welcome. And the, one of the things that I did like was that it did have a variety of environments and even gameplay stuff. Like, you know, they had vehicle sequence, they had an escort sequence and everything. I think that this game only nails the combat. And I think the combat is in this game is fun. Whereas with Vanquish, I think overall just the game is fun. And I think, like, this game, it takes itself too seriously, where Vanquish, it didn't take itself seriously at all. So, like, I I feel like these are kind of games that are, like, not necessarily polar opposites, but they're, like, cut from the same cloth, and they kind of branch where this game forks right, that game forks left. And I feel like Vanquish did a better job of achieving what it wanted to do, what it wanted and set out to do, whereas Syndicate... It, it nailed the shooting aspect, like like you said, but I don't think it quite hit the marks on everything else because I think it took itself a little too seriously on the story aspect, and I don't necessarily feel like overall the game is as fun as Vanquished is, but that's also personal preference too, so I'm, I'm aware of that. Uh, Trevor? I think another thing, like in that same regard, Vanquish was a lot more confident. Like, I think... Syndicate is a little bit more hesitant in the things that it does. Like, it never actually takes that full leap. Like, even with the story, the story, like, especially in the first half, is very generic. Um, whereas Vanquish, you know, had a had a completely original story. It was, like I said, very confident in, in some of the things that it attempted. Whereas Syndicate kind of takes, like, that, that hesitant half-step. And it does it okay, but like you almost want to see what would happen if they just went at it full force. And just to be fair, too, some of that could be budget budget restraints too, too. Uh, so like, for like, I'm willing to bet that Vanquish had more funding than this game than Syndicate had. But we also have to keep in mind too, where Vanquish is solely a single player game where this game has a single-player and a co-op mode. Granted, the co-op mode ultimately is two, three hours in length, but it's another thing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but it was some other things that they were able to try out too. So I don't want to fully say like, oh, I I can't endorse Syndicate or whatever, because there are definitely things about this game that I do like. Uh, Greg, you have something you want to say? Um, no, just kind of going back to the reason and why, like, I kind of agree with you on the fact that part of the reason why it's like that is I think they did have to split attention between creating a, like a full featured multiplayer or I guess co-op experience and then also doing a, uh, a single player game and kind of going back to what Trevor said, like the only thing that I I feel that they're super confident in, in this game is their guns and like their shooting. Like, I feel like they put a lot of attention to detail and just how like the guns sound, how they feel the kickback, just the effects on every weapon. Like I felt like that's the one thing that they, they wanted to hone in the most on. And then everything else was kind of like, we'll try and get it as good as we can, I guess. Yeah. like I, I was just going to say that pretty much you hit the nail on the head with most of this stuff. As far as comparing it to vanquish, I, 
I do think Vanquish is the better game of the two. I think that the aesthetics of Vanquish are better. Um, the story of Vanquish is better. The um, the overall, I guess, glue that meshes everything into one thing of Vanquish is better. I think the combat is definitely comparable. It's I enjoy the combat of both games a lot. But, um, yeah, I mean, for what they were working with, what I'm assuming they're working with, I think they did a really good job with this game. Um, they focused on that 30 seconds of fun that I was talking about, but you can tell that they skimped in other parts. Definitely, definitely. Um, sorry for that little tangent, but I guess we'll veer back on track. Um... So we had the the puzzle sequence in the elevator shaft, and ultimately you end up winding up in another boss fight. And this is the uh, this boss fight is you're in another cramped room. I think it's like a server room, and the the mechanic in this in this encounter is that you can breach server nodes, and they rise up from the floor, and you can basically use them as cover. And the enemy uh, boss can also breach the server nodes and send them back down. So basically, you're kind of playing like a, a cat and mouse kind of game with them, where you're there's four server nodes in the room that you can have, and you're basically running from one to the other as the dude is kind of chasing you along. He's a little bit slower. I think he's I think he has like a machine gun or like. Or minigun, I should say, or one of those big bulky weapons, laser guns or something like that. And he's kind of just chasing you around the room, putting uh, putting the server nodes back to their into the floor and everything. Um, what did you guys feel about this fight? Because I think this is the the la- like there is one more boss fight, but I think that boss fight is like a combination of some of the previous encounters. So, what did you guys feel about this one? I'll start with you, Greg. Um, hold up! I kind of lost my place. Which uh, boss fighter are we talking it's about? The one I was gonna say it's the one that the dude can shoot around corners and stuff. He has that gun. Oh yeah. Oh, that boss fight. Yeah, the server nodes where you had to hide behind them and he can put them back down. Um, I'm trying to. I'm, I don't know why I'm like. I'm trying to remember this in my head of like exactly. That's literally like the only aspect of this boss fight. Like. To be honest, there's not too, too much to talk about. I just wanted to know how you guys felt, like, about... I think this was, like, the last kind of, like, thing they added to a boss fight before you had the final boss encounter. Isn't it like he comes out with, like, two other enemies at the same time that you have to, like, hack them? Oh, okay, so that was one of the easiest boss fights that I remember. Because I feel like... Once I got rid of the other two dudes, I just kind of went into dart dart mode, and then like he just went down almost like I I think I took at least a good eighty percent of his health in like dart mode, and then finished him off. So this was kind of to me, I felt like the easiest boss fight. Um, but I didn't really have like too many feelings about it, other than it was kind of like a little underwhelming, I guess. Dante or Trevor, you guys. I'm about to interfere. Okay, this dude messed me up real bad. This dude on hard. He could kill you along with his buddies in about five seconds. So I immediately had to find one of those like server nodes to raise up. And pretty much my strategy ended up being 
kill the other two dudes as quick as possible and just never let this dude get on any side of the surfer wall that I'm on or I'm about to die. Trevor, you had any issues with him? Um, yeah, he caught me off guard the first time and I ended up dying once. And then after that, um, I think I got used to using those little server nodes, pulling them up and down or pulling them up. And I think the game actually kind of prepares you for the final boss battle with this area. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was alluding to. I, I feel like the <laughs> the final boss is kind of like a combination of a couple. Well, I mean, really, this boss. It's like a harder version of this boss for the most part. Um, you're in a much smaller area in this fight, and there is more nodes. Or because you're in a smaller area, there. Are nodes that are closer to you so it's easier to kind of not easier but it's um you can quickly get behind cover anywhere in this room whereas in the later fight uh you're in a much larger area and there's more of a a threat um but yeah ultimately you kill the boss and um you just end up getting climbing higher and higher up into the headquarters and I mean, there's not really anything much to talk about uh, up until the final boss. There is, well, I guess there's one section in this game where, like, I think this is something that we talked about the first in part one. Uh, specifically at the end, we're like, oh, we have all these different enemy types. It'd be interested to see how the game throws them at you and, you know, kind of pairs up groups of enemies for you to fight, especially when they have these abilities. And there is one section in this game, it's the milestone 19, the second to last milestone, where you get into this pretty big open area, and there are airships dropping off Cayman Global operatives, and then there are Eurocore agents coming into the area as well. And so they're fighting, and then when you get in there, they're all shooting at you as well. And this part, like, I think you end up fighting here for a good 10 minutes, it seems like. And this is a long time, and... I think you run into every single enemy type that you've run into. So you run into the riot shield enemies. You run into the drones that you have to breach before you can take them down. You run into the jammered enemy, the jammer enemies. You run into the armored enemies. You run into the camel enemies. Uh, you you fight literally every non-boss enemy type in this section. Greg, you have something you want to add? I hated this section. It was just like. It was so annoying, like, how much... Like, I guess this whole last part of the game, I just hated how much combat they threw at you. Like, I enjoyed the combat for the most part, but I feel like they overdo it at this part of the game almost to just artificially extend the length of the game. Like, they... And it's not even a long game, but it's just like... Or maybe they're not artificially extending it, but they're trying to maybe make it seem like oh, you've gotten this far in the game, so we obviously have to make it, you know, somewhat... It's not even difficult, I guess, but try and present more of a challenge. But it, at this point, I'm just kind of over it. Like, And especially that section, they just keep throwing enemies over and over and over. And it's just like, do you really have to do this right now? Yeah, like, I, one of the things that I didn't like about this... I'm kind of torn at this part, because, like, they pretty much gave me what I wanted. They gave me every single enemy type in this section, and I thought, like, in my head, it sounded really cool to, like, see how they would mash 
up, you know, an encounter where it's like, oh, you have a jammer enemy with a camo enemy, or, you know, like, I thought that would be cool, and then it happens at this part, and it's like, oh, well, that was cool, but then you're fighting, like I, like I said, and like you said, you're fighting so many different enemy types that they throw at you, and it's super frustrating because um, you get to a point where you're running out of ammo. And so, like, I got to run across the battlefield to swap out guns or whatever. And because enemies are keep on coming, like, I just, like, I go run, pick up a gun. Next thing I know, enemies spawn right behind me. Or, you know, they just pop it right behind me. And it's like, what the crap? Like, there was nobody here when I came here. And now, like, there's six enemies behind me. And that, I think that happened to me, like, three times. And I, I think I did die once or tw- once at this point, I think. Where it was just, like, there was literally... I didn't know where they were coming from, where they would have came from, so... Because they, they come from everywhere in this part, and so... I like the fact that they gave you all the enemies and the variety, but like kind of like what you were saying, I didn't like the part where it was so long, and, like, it was... This back half of this game was very combat-heavy, and, like, I mean, we're sitting here praising the combat in the game and, like, they do it really well, but I do feel like this part in particular just stands out as, like, one of the least fun sections of this game. And I don't think I could say that about much else about this game, or about this part. It just was not fun. Uh, Trevor, you got anything you want to add? Yeah, this part definitely kind of overstayed its welcome. And then it didn't help that my game actually glitched on this part because... Every time I would finish off like a wave of enemies, it would be about 30 to 45 seconds before one of the doors would open up and the next wave of enemies would come out. And it would make it seem like I was done with all the enemies, but nope. Rip. That that, that happened a lot where I, I did feel like I was done with the encounter. And the next thing you know, like, you know, I'm running around the stage 20 seconds and then more enemies come up. And it's just like, what the heck? Uh, Dante, you got anything you want to add about this part? Um, I guess I really didn't mind it just because you kind of... It's a trope of the genre. Not that that's a good defense, but I'm expecting a big, like, hey, here's all the enemies we can possibly throw at you type of thing right before the final boss. For sure. The problem with that is, literally right after this part, you end up in this, like, three-story atrium that you got to fight your way up, and you literally fight, like, another gang of, like... 40, 50 plus enemies, and I mean, granted they're like a little bit chiller, it's just like the riot shield enemies and the normal enemies, and you get a breach, a machine gun wielding drone that flies with you, so you kind of have a teammate at this part, but like you literally go from one like basically 10 minute horde mode combat scenario to almost like another like horde mode where like this is like almost like a action movie like... <laughs> like, a uh, montage, where you're, like, literally, like, trekking your way up this, you know, these stairs, and enemies are popping out of rooms, and you're just capping them and just keep moving forward, and I don't know, it just, it just seemed like this mission, or this milestone, there was just, like, they just threw so many enemies at you. Trevor, you got anything you want to do? I actually like the part going up the stairs, because that little drone was putting in work. That was my buddy right there. Well, I mean, it was cool because you finally had, like, a, a, a legit viable teammate, but I, I personally just felt like, man, like, why, if I have this drone here and this drone is literally taking anybody else out, why do they even need to include this in the game? Or, conversely, 
why is this the only time where I get a drone as my teammate? Like, I haven't breached the entire game. Why can't I have done this earlier? What do you think? Greg? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of wish that you had the ability to do that earlier. I guess there's some encounters where that would have come in handy, and I almost feel like they did it for like a balancing re- reason because there's like so many enemies at like various like vantage points that it's kind of hard to account for everybody, and especially with how they spawn enemies in on you. Um, so it's almost like they, like they just did it for that reason. But I, I really do wish it was like more of a combat option, like in other parts of the game. Because the drone is indestructible, isn't it? As far it as seems I know, like it, it is. Um, but yeah, so basically, it ends. The chapter ends. You, you go up that three, the three uh, floors of that atrium, and you basically hack your way, breach your way into this vault, and now you're at the top level so then milestone 20 the final milestone ends with you encountering merit and two your core agents who are under orders from denim to kill you um so this is your this is the final boss battle and so uh it involves servernos kind of like what we alluded to but they're in a much larger room um i think the i think merit has a machine or the minigun like the way this battle unfolds is like him and the two uh, women, woman, uh, uh, Eurocorp agents. They're standing on top of some elevator. The two women jump off and then they start attacking you. And Merritt's up top with his minigun shooting down at you. And so you have to put up the server nodes to get covered between you and him, as well as something to dodge these women, uh, these these Eurocorp agents from or get behind. And, um, it is a pretty frustrating fight. Uh, I died a couple times at this because I didn't know the mechanic of this fight. Um, one of the agents fights really close to you. The other agent fights from afar. So I killed the agent that was up close to me. I maybe killed her three times. And every time I tried to pick her up, she started getting healed. Or every time I tried to, uh de-chipper or whatever she started getting healed and I didn't understand why so I think I died four or five times and I was getting super frustrated because I'm like I'm running out of ammo and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do but I don't I'm something is not some gameplay element like that I haven't encountered yet is like holding me from finishing this fight and then ultimately I got like super frustrated so I started the fight one time and I just shot shot at Merritt before the women jumped off the uh the elevator and then I saw the elevator like basically it fell down and I was like okay cool like he's like I thought I glitched actually because like I went into dark mode and you see the dude standing on top of the elevator below the level and he's just standing there idly just like looking around not doing anything I'm like did I glitch this game or whatever and then I see the elevator comes back up and I'm like oh crap let me shoot him again and it drops again I'm like oh that's the the mechanic of this fight you have to get him out of the picture and then you can kind of better fight these other two uh, how, how did you guys feel about this fight? And I'll, and I'll, well, and I guess before I say this is after you guys deal with the agents, then Merritt fights you one on one, so you have like this basically like a two two part boss fight. But I'll kick it to you first, Trevor. So this boss fight was super annoying, and like you said, it's the first time you encounter an enemy that can heal other enemies. And I think them introducing that 
especially in a boss fight, was kind of... I mean, I guess it was fair, because it's something new, but at the same time, you're, you're not expecting it. And it becomes frustrating when you don't even know how to stop it. And you just have to keep dying until you figure it out. Um, but I think the only issue I had with this level was after taking down the, the two twins, it just took me forever to to kill the final boss because I was just kind of dancing around with them throughout the entire level. Yeah, and one of the things, too, is, like, he basically, when he's on the elevator, he has the minigun. When he jumps down, he has a shotgun, and that dude, that shotgun is it's ridiculous. It has way more range than your you have when you're using a shotgun. It, it, it's strong. Um, Greg, you got any opinions on this final fight? Um, I guess once I figured out the way to kind of handle the, the twins and uh, Mary, it wasn't too bad, but... Um, for a final boss encounter, I felt like it was a little underwhelming. Like nobody, like neither, like the two twins don't seem like super strong. And then I mean, Merit does a lot of damage, but like, it's not too difficult to like, um, like avoid most of his fire. So it's like, I, I don't know. I was expecting kind of like another big encounter, like after this. And then for that to be the last thing, it was kind of like, eh. Dante, what are your opinions on this merit fight? So, I guess I did run into a couple issues, like, early on, just trying to suss out the mechanics of what was going on, and I got caught by the revival trick, essentially. But it didn't really bother me too much, per se. Um, The second half of the fight was a little... Like, I don't want to call it... I think it's unfair to call it tedious because it's not really that long of a thing. But at the same time, I kind of wish he might have had like an additional phase or something. To- so if you're if you're saying the the first phase is you fighting the two agents, then him being on the ground within the second phase, and then like a third phase after that. Kind of like once you get it down to just him, he's kind of a one trick pony. It's shoot his minigun, and that's really it. And you have to hack him and do the thing you do to all armored enemies. So I would have wanted like, one additional armor, mechanic. Right? Yeah, he had like four or five things you had to get through. Trevor, you had something you wanted to... Didn't he have a, a third phase? Like, after he gets off the elevator, he has his minigun, and then after that, he, like, sheds his armor, and he has that shotgun. Honestly, I guess he does change weapons, yeah. But I mean, I feel like as soon as he jumps off the thing, like you take down his first armor, then he just runs at you with a shotgun. So I don't even feel like if you want to call him having the minigun on the ground a phase, like that's basically <laughs> that's very brief. I mean, to me, he pressed I mean, Y. Basically, <laughs> yeah, he swapped guns. <laughs> I mean, to me, I kind of played it out differently because when he had the miniguns. I was basically using the nodes to kind of, you know, dodge the the barrage of bullets. But then as he got the shotgun, that was when I started dancing around that uh, that little circular platform where there's like one node in the middle that you can raise. Gotcha. I kept using that in order to evade him. Um, and since so this is the final, final boss, uh, I guess 
overall, how did you guys feel about the bosses in this game? Like, I know first-person shooters aren't necessarily, like, have the most groundbreaking bosses, but ultimately, did you guys like the encounters in this game? I mean, even going back to the part one with that super speedy one uh, you fought at the train station, uh, do you guys like the bosses in this game? Uh, I'll start with you, Greg. Um, I liked a few of them. Um, I, I kind of like the way that they introduced them. You know, they kind of do the zoom in and it kind of gives you, I guess, what's supposed to be kind of information about them. Um, there's a little bit of variety in the tactics that they use. So, um, I mean, they were, I would say average, I guess. I, I don't think there was anything that was like super remarkable about any one encounter, but, um, you know, you got to do several different things to try and take out uh, the various bosses. So there was enough variety um, overall. What about you, Dante? It was no Tartarus from Halo 2. That's the big I'm just going to leave it there. Big brute with the hammer, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Trevor? Yeah, there was definitely um, good variety between them, um, especially with their abilities. More than anything, I think the bosses in this game really fit this game. And like Greg said, the way they introduced them really worked. Um, like with the, the style of this game. The style. I just want to say that at least two of the bosses were introduced by kicking you in the chest. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with like the. Hey, the man, that's like your thing. favorite movie of all time, isn't it? Isn't that like the most perfectest thing ever? Isn't that like the best thing? 300? That movie that's terrible? Sorry. <laughs> Uh, you're right, you're right. But, um... <laughs> I had to open that old wound, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I, the thing, I, I acknowledge that all of these bosses, I mean, every single one of them is different, and I do like that about the collective, all these different bosses, but I, they weren't that difficult. Like, I, I do think that the two bosses that we fought in this part, the, um, the first breaching one... And the, that was like a puzzle, and then the second one that was the uh, the guy with the camo. I felt like those were the two most interesting boss fights. But overall, kind of like what Trevor said, they did fit the game's aesthetic, the game's style, but um, they weren't that uh, fun. I guess you could say they weren't that difficult either. But it, it it was it was cool that they went there, and it wasn't just like generic, you know, super bullet spongy boss that just takes a lot of uh a lot of bullets and then you have to see you know avoid his attack patterns and then rinse repeat you know get behind cover rinse repeat and there's nothing like that so i did appreciate that they at least put a little bit of thought into how they were going to approach these different bosses um but uh after after you fight Merritt, you you kill him and you go to the top of the headquarters and you confront denim and at this point, he activates the kill switch while trying to justify having abducted all the people he's abducted in his, you know, tenure as the head of Eurocore. Um, because of the kill switch, Kilo is severely hampered, <laughs> but he fights through it and eventually corners Denim, and Denim kind of just like lets himself fall off the edge of the building. It's like he just This is kind like, of a weird scene too. He casually committed suicide. <laughs> the, no, not the part where freaking um what's his name? 
I guess he overcomes his chip and just jumps to the platform like it's nothing. Kilo, yeah, Kilo. He yes, just like man modes. Game that might as well be nameless. He just man modes the fact that this dude activated this thing that's so, so supposed to like kill him, and he just confronts the guy, and then the guy just casually just steps off the edge of the building to kill himself, which is like what, and then. Like, that happens, and then you kind of fall to the ground, then you look up, and uh, Eurocore's in ruins, and Lily comes, she meets up with you at the top of the building, she gives Kilo a pistol, tells him he's free from anyone's control, and then the game ends. And it's just like, what? What is this story even? And now we can talk about our grievances with this story, because holy crap, man. (sighs) There is so much, like... There's a lot of promise, especially in the beginning of the game, to me. Like, the, just the idea of corporations being evil and having control of every aspect of somebody's life. And there's just so much potential there. And for it to be basically squandered, not only in, like, how they execute it, but just how they deliver it, too. Um, maybe maybe I'm a little spoiled because we just got off of playing Bioshock, but, like... Bioshock, and I know this is like a a trope that they do, is they deliver, I mean, as far as I know, because I've only played one, they have very well built out settings that deliver the story and, you know, like the, they breathe life into the environment. And they also deliver story beats through audio logs. Well, this game has these collectibles that are supposed to deliver story, but like it's it's only text. So like there's no way I'm going to sit and read all these text me- like these like walls of text. Like I'm not going to read all this. Like this is not like there's no character in this game that's interesting enough for me to like even want to delve into their background. And there was only the single, the only audio log that I remember in this entire game was that interaction between Logos, uh, Chris Delaney, and Lily. And there, there was no, I, I just, I don't even know if maybe it was the genre of game. Like, maybe if it was not a first-person shooter, maybe they could have, like, showcased more of the story. Because it, it felt like it either, they like, the first half of the game, there was no story. The second half of the game was either, like, it was ham-fisted, like, in, like, that that milestone 16 where it was just like story beat after story beat. You find out about Kilo's background. It's hand waved. Uh, your interaction with Lily is hand waved away where it's okay. Now she's on your side and wants to work with you again. And like a lot of this, I, I, I mean, I had to write an outline for this show and I had to go to like three different Wikipedia sites or Wikipedia, um, sites, um, specifically for Syndicate, dedicated to Syndicate, in order to get pieced together the story that I was able to piece together. Like, not, not, no single site had all the relevant information. So it's like... like, Good thing you didn't need to find a fourth, because it probably didn't exist. Yeah, right? (laughs) So it's just super frustrating, because it's like, the, the, the environment and like the setting, and like, it was set up so well, and I felt like, it's exactly, like, it was a cool environment, it was a cool premise, and I just feel like nothing about it, like, this might as well have taken, like, this could have, like, literally taken place in, now, and instead of it being 
corporation, evil corporation. It could have still been evil corporations if it's now, but it could have been countries. It could have been like freaking Germany and you know, or you know, United States and some random Middle Eastern country, or United States and like South Korea or something, or North Korea. You know, like it didn't really like. Ultimately, it didn't really matter because like I don't feel like they utilize what they set up that well. And they definitely didn't do a good enough job of, like, pushing you, like, you know, oh, I need to see this story beat, and that's why I'm playing this game. It was like, no, I'm enjoying the combat. That's why I'm here. And, like, a lot of times it was, like, like literally, like, I would say up until the end of this game, I wasn't even following the story. I was just there for the gameplay. Um, anything you want to you wanna add? Trevor. <laughs> so that final scene where um uh what's the guy's name? Um Denim where he just kind of falls off that's very symbolic of the story, I think. Um the way it just kind of ended because the story seemed like it was ramping up in the second half. Like, I was super interested in it because it went from, like, this really generic um, global large corporations, you know, type story. And then all of a sudden it went to, well, Kilo has some mysterious parents. And maybe we'll find out a little bit more before this game ends. Um, Maybe he's going to become the one like Neo or something and and he'll tap into some I don't know some so you kind of wanted like a beyond good and evil <laughs> situation where oh okay let's set up all these promises and hey this game has zero followers so let's never make a sequel I thought that's where it was going honestly like I thought they were going to put some things into this story that were shrouded in mystery, but it would be the kind of mystery where it makes you want to know more about it. But like y'all said, they really didn't invest that much into Kilo, like until that one cut scene in the game where they show him as a baby. And so there was really no payout from trying to, to put more into his backstory. But I think the game could have benefited a little bit more by um, by fleshing out some of the stories of the secondary characters, kind of the way they did with Lily Draw, like with her involvement with um, the camo guy, um, kind of showing how all these characters are kind of interconnected and, I don't know, just showing that they have a life outside of what Kilo can see. Straight up, the most disappointing part about this, one of the most disappointing part, is there's five characters in this game. And literally, like, Lily is the only one that has, they develop at all. Like, Denim doesn't really, like, develop throughout the game. Merit doesn't develop. Your character, Kilo, really doesn't develop. Like, I mean, they show Chris, and Chris has more depth and, uh, <laughs> like, he's more of a character than any of the characters in this game. And it's super frustrating because, like, one of my all-time favorite games has three characters in it. And it's, like, they do so much with those three characters that you don't even, like, it doesn't matter. But, like, this game has, it has five. And, like, they don't do anything with any of the characters. 
and it's super frustrating because also this is a series or you know this is a this is the third or I mean I'm, I was looking it up there's Syndicate Syndicate Wars and the expansion pack called Syndicate American Revolt so this is the fourth game that's come out in this series and like this is the first I guess one that's a shooter but it's like man, like, you guys might as well not have made it a shooter if, like, this is how you were going to deliver the story. Like, I don't I don't understand. And kind of even going a little bit further back, too, like, one of the whole reasons that Lily even made the chip, the Dark Six chip, was because she wanted syndicates to treat the unchipped and the uh, chipped people equally. So, like, what I was going to say earlier that I'm, I'm going to say now is like, so in the beginning of the game, when you go on that mission with Merritt, that dude just callously, he kills all those civilians on the train. He kills everybody he comes across. And like, at no point do you stop him or say anything to him about it. The, like they didn't even like really play that up, you know, like, okay, so this dude has a chip and he doesn't see unchipped or even just normal civilians as like worth anything like he doesn't care anything for their life and then like then when you're in the slums you can kill like these hobo unchipped people and like you can just kill them just because like there's no reason to kill them but you can and so like i don't think the, the game doesn't punish you for doing it and then like lily's whole stance is we need to treat everybody equally but then she doesn't even say anything to you like it it's so frustrating Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna. I kind of. I really like that train sequence. That was actually one of my favorite sequences in the game. I, I like I, that I sequence, like sequence too. too. Oh, can you mute yourself? Yeah, I like that sequence too. But like, there's no. It shows you how cold and how callous Merritt is. But that's like the only part of his character that gets fleshed out. He's, but it also he's, kind of you don't stop him, and I think that's kind of in some regard, showing, like, how callous your character is as well. And kind of just how the brainwashing of the syndicates has overridden, let's say, Kilo's and Merritt's personalities in a large regard. But I guess the whole point of having the Chip 6, or I'm sorry, the Dark 6, is to see people in both sides, you know, see the, the, the unchipped and the chipped as being equal, and, you know... So, like, in that respect, Lily failed because, like, you don't stop him and you have the Dark Six chip. So, like, one of the whole reasons... I was going to say, how long have you had the Dark Six? Is that, like, do you get the... Do you get upgraded from the previous Dark to Dark Six at the beginning of the game? The beginning of the game, yeah. When you do that little uh, training exercise, that's your... You have the Dark Six. And, like, if you, you... At least... For me, and maybe I'm stretching, like, I kind of interpreted Kilo's arc as finally developing a little bit of empathy by the end of the game. I feel like Kilo has no arc. Kilo basically does what he's told. I didn't have an arc for Kilo until, like, five minutes ago when we started talking about the train stuff. Eurocorp was like, Kilo, kill these people. And he's like, yes, sir, does it. Then Lily's like, Kilo, he killed your parents. We need to kill him. And he's like, yes, ma'am. That's his arc. Like, he doesn't, he does what he's told. You have no agency as Kilo. Like, he has no say in that. I don't even know if he has a voice. You know? You know? I was kind of thinking about that. I didn't want to actually bring it up. But is he's not a silent protagonist, is he? 
I, the only time you see him is when he, like, when when you kill Merritt at the very end, I think he, like, chokes him out, and you can kind of see um, Kilo from the top, like, looking, like, you can see his face, but that's it. Uh, Greg, you got something you want to throw in? Yeah, that, that's, <clears throat> that's the part I was going to talk about. It was like, that seems so out of place, because it was, like, another situation of, like, why do I even care what the protagonist looks like at this point? Like, it's not even, like, even if it's, it's not really to reveal, I guess, but, like, I didn't have, in, again, like, at this point in the game, you have no connection to this character whatsoever. And then for them to show this is not, like, making this any more brutal. It's not, you know, making you feel any type of way other than, like, why would you even show the protagonist's face at this point? Yeah, it was very strange. Because, like, at that point, all you know is he dresses up just like Merritt, which is, like, freaking leather Doc Martin boots and black boots and a black trench coat. So it was, like, uh, like maybe I don't need to see who this, what this guy looks like because he probably is very similar to Merritt. Uh, Trevor, you got anything you want to say? Oh, no, I was going to say the exact same thing as Greg. I was just like, man, that was really out of place for them to show his face there because... You know, I honestly thought they were going to go, like, Master Chief with it, where, you know, their reveal was kind of like, you are Master Chief, or you are Kilo. Just some random white guy choking on another white guy. They use your Kinect avatar. (laughs) Uh, That would have been tight. (laughs) That would be pretty good, Um, actually. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's the, the single player for Syndicate. Oh, I think, ultimately... I think we liked the game, or I guess we can go around the table and see. Ultimately, I thought the the shooting in this game and the single player was super fun. Um, the story <laughs> leaves a lot to be desired, uh, but ultimately, I thought it was a it was a good game, and I and I'm I'm glad I played it. Trevor, it's fine. All right, Greg. <laughs> no, it man. The the first half of the game was a disappointment to me, um, but the second half really ramped up. I mean, they had four bosses in the second half of the game, which is crazy compared to the first half. Um, and then also adding all those weapons, like you can definitely see how they how they ramped up. Even the music, because um, like I definitely heard more of the um like the dubstep um soundtrack um in the music um during the second half especially whenever you got like a lot of enemies i noticed no music in this game in the second half of the game (laughs) oh man uh dante i kind of uh i don't want to say i soured on it but i do think the first half for me was stronger just as far as design goes Maybe it's just because maybe they didn't mix it up enough. Maybe there did need to be a couple more. But overall, I enjoyed my time with the game. I didn't think the um, I didn't think the bosses were great, but I thought they were all serviceable, especially for the genre. Um, all the guns felt pretty decent. There were maybe only like two or three guns that I really didn't like to use, and all the combat scenarios in my Greg. It's alright. Like, I think the game starts out, like, kind of, I guess, going back to kind of what Dante said. Like, I agree with him. I think the first half of the game starts out stronger than the second half. 
And then that, that could just be a bias on me where I just started getting fatigue as the game went on. But, um, I thought that the premise was like really cool, but ultimately it didn't really pan out in anything special. Um, I do think that the game could have benefited from just like not trying to make anything out the story and like maybe going a little bit, kind of going the vanquish route, like not be serious at all and just kind of focus on just making a lot of kind of crazy like combat scenarios and maybe like, you know, making the bosses a little bit more crazy. Like, but I mean, I, I like the game. Um, but you can definitely see that there was a lot of missed opportunity there. Now we're talking about the real reason why we play the game. The freaking co-op. <laughs> um, it's pretty dope. Co-op is pretty dope. Um, so co-op, the way they do it in this game, is four players. Um, you get loadouts. So you choose a main gun and a backup gun, like a pistol. It would be like a sidearm, a secondary weapon. And then you get... Uh, two abilities. So you, you always have uh, the breach, or uh, yeah, the breach ability, uh, but then you get to choose your other two abilities. They don't have suicide and persuade in co op, and uh, there are nine levels, and I think you start off with three. You have the option of up to three different abilities to pick and choose from for your loadout, and then every time you beat another level, you unlock a new ability. So I think. We ended up with, I think it's 10 overall. Uh, could be wrong. Um, but they they are way, way uh, vastly different. So they have a, um, they have uh, EMP that you can stun your enemies. They have a, uh, a shield that basically stops enemy or your teammates from taking bullets or stops you from taking bullets. They have a, uh, a move that basically buffs your teammates so they do more damage. They have uh, ability to heal your teammates to a percentage of their lives, so 50% or even 100% of life. Um, they have an ability that uh, that does damage over time, uh, so you can like a, like almost like a poison ability. I mean, there, there's just like a lot of differing abilities, and it was super like. I mean, I think I, we all beat the single player first before we started playing co-op, and we all played together. And it was kind of, I won't say disappointing, but it was just like, dang, like there was only two abilities in uh, single player. But then here in co-op, there's 10 different abilities and you can like level them up so they get stronger. So like, you know, you can basically change, you can tweak and customize your loadout to your liking. And there's a lot of variety. And on top of that too, like your loadout, you have access to like, I want to say, like, every single game in the in the game, every single gun, sorry, every single gun in the game, plus they have additional guns in co-op that they didn't have in the single player. So I think ultimately there's, like, would you say maybe about 20 different weapons in this game? At least 20? Because, I mean, they have, like, three different types of pistols, uh, I think three different types of assault rifles, uh, two different shotguns. They have, like five or six, like, special weapons, like, a sniper, they have a submachine gun, like, there's just a huge variety of things, like, uh, weapons and just the abilities, so, like, I feel like if they would have maybe met in the middle between the co-op and single player, that would have been super awesome in my mind, because it's like, 
they have like the abilities that they could have used for like puzzles and co-op, but they didn't bring them into single player. Um, I mean, you still have dart mode, but the dart mode and, then, and co-op, because you're playing with other people, it doesn't slow down uh, time or anything like that, slow down your enemies, but you still get the bonus uh, that you get. You even have like the level up system that's pretty similar, so you can, uh, every time you level up in co-op, you can put points into certain attributes to make your specific character better. Um, and just like the different levels, like they are basically rehashes and reskins of environments that you, uh, for the most part, I would say they're uh, reskins and just uh, repurposed points in the single player. Um, but the cool thing is, is because you're playing with four people, like you can kind of, I feel like the, the areas are way more open and you can kind of like flank enemies. You can go oh, to this way, to this way. And then there's just a lot more. Uh, I feel like this is the best form of the combat in this game. Like I, I really like the combat in single player and it was so fun. Uh, even though you didn't have to slow down with the dart, it was so fun in co-op because it's like, okay, me and this person, or me and Greg went over here and then Trevor and Dante stayed on top of the building and they shot down. And like, you just get a lot of, a lot of interesting vantage points and just angles that you can get in on enemies that have the ability to like heal your teammates. You can breach them and heal them. So there's a little bit of cooperative aspect that way as well, as well as like when somebody is downed, they can kind of crawl. Like this is another thing that was very prominent at that time period, uh, the 2010, 2012 time period where, Oh, if somebody got downed, they can crawl to their teammate and be revived. Um, a lot of the enemies you fight uh, are the same, too. You fight the armored enemies, you fight the cloaked enemies, you fight the riot shield enemies, the jammers. You fight all those enemies, enemies that heal each other as well. Um, I'm, I know I'm like kind of rambling, kind of raving, so I'll kick it to... Let me kick it to you, Greg. What do you, what do you got to say about the co-op? Um, I really like the co-op. Um, I feel like there's a good mix of weapons... Um, I like the abilities that they give you. Do you, you get, like you were saying earlier, you get more abilities in the co-op than you do in the actual, um, single player. <clears throat> you also, um, you can also unlock, unlock the upgrades for the weapons and they do it in kind of a cool way where you get these unlock points or upgrade points that you can use to spend on the upgrade. Um, but you also have to research it. So once you unlock the upgrade, you have to, select the upgrade that you want um, to unlock and then the experience that you get within the mission uh, goes to researching the upgrade. Um, <clears throat> so it kind of uh, kind of gives you a little bit of like a, I guess a progression to, you know, get better weapons. Um, I like some of the interaction that we had in co-op. So like, for instance, the, I think the last mission that we did, while it was super frustrating trying to uh, trying to get through that, it was also kind of fun trying to figure out a way to draw out the enemies. I feel like the AI is like I couldn't remember if we played on that last mission on hard. I think we did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So and like the AI is like pretty aggressive as far as like their tactics. Um. They're really good about trying to, and they also do a lot of damage on hard. So I guess that also has something to do with it. But, um they kind of pin you down as quick as possible. And sometimes they'll even have the other guy flank. But in that last mission, you know, we had to try and figure out the best way to draw them out. 
with, you know, how to try and separate them. Because meanwhile, while you're in this one encounter, there's like, what, maybe four or five enemies that you're trying to mm-hmm. take out in that last section. Yeah. And, and they also heal each other and can revive each other. So then you have to figure out how to like section them off or how to split them up and then try and take out each, each one individually. Um, it's almost so like fighting it, another squad of four people, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I really did appreciate that. And, um, again, I think they, you can kind of tell, or at least to me, it seems like the focus that they had was on the multiplayer. Almost. It seemed like just as far as like all the systems that they added to it. And this could just be because the game, the time that the game came out, you know, it, it was like, that that was the time where single player games were starting to be less and less important. And people were trying to figure out ways to, um, engage people for a longer time. So they, you know, tried to figure out these like co-op and multiplayer experiences that had like long tails, I guess. Um, and, and this game kind of shows that I feel like, but, um, overall I really did enjoy my time with the co-op and maybe it could be that I haven't played the co-op experience in a long time. So maybe that's just kind of a refreshing thing for me, but I definitely enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, that was something that I was always raving about when we were playing. It was like the co-op experience for this game, you don't get anymore. Um, there is no, like, there's a level up progression, but it's super manageable. Like, you're always getting something every match. And then there's no, like, <laughs> you don't have to pay for anything. So, like, I mean, you have access to every single weapon that you can ever have in a loadout from the beginning. You don't have to unlock any weapons. You have to upgrade your weapons and research weapons in order to make them better, but you can choose whatever you want to choose. You don't have to, like, you're not locked out of something depending on your level. The only thing that you, like, get is when you beat a level and you get a new uh, ability, and then you can kind of, like I said, by the end, after you beat every single level, you've unlocked an additional ability, so you can choose between... One of the, I think, like I said, it's like nine or ten abilities that are, that you want to use. You can choose two of them. And and kind of, um, I, th- I want to say Dante said something about this, but like even if this game existed today, like I mean, it would have been like microtransaction, like to hell, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like loot boxes, like XP doublers, like you could just see Dance. how nefarious <laughs> they could be about it at at this point. You know, like, it, it's super refreshing to like basically you you get a lot of the depth. In my opinion, you get a lot of the depth that modern shooters have, but you don't have any of like the the hoops that you have to jump through in order to um, access some of that stuff. You can kind of get in. Like, I mean, we maybe spent maybe four hours, I think, ultimately playing this. Three, four hours playing this. And I feel like, for the most part, everything that I got, like, I, I anything that I wanted, I was able to get. You know, like there was nothing that it was like, oh, well, I have to be this level in order to get this thing. Uh, granted, you know, like th- there is a replay ability aspect to it where it's like, okay, there's a normal difficulty, a hard and expert. And theoretically, you can't max out uh, a gun if you were to just beat all the levels on normal or if you were to beat them all on hard. Like you, you have to have enough points in order to upgrade certain weapons all the way but like it, it all felt pretty manageable um i'm gonna kick it to dante because i know he this has game, some wait, words about before this. i even get to my opinion about this i was gonna say this game in 2018 would have been like the black mirror episode about video games and loot boxes and microtransactions like it's the perfect 
analogy, like everybody can join a syndicate in this game, and then they would just spend money to support their syndicate and get like syndicate specific loot boxes and syndicate specific skins, and essentially everybody would just be throwing money into the system to make their syndicate look better than the other syndicates. You're right. You you 100 percent right. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm going to kick it back to Dante, but let me hear from you first, Trevor. I'm so here for this co-op. <laughs> Go on. Um, This co-op reminded me a lot of Mass Effect 3's co-op. Um, the major differences were um, in Mass Effect 3, you're basically just fighting waves of enemies on a pretty much static map. Um, whereas with Syndicate's co-op, you're traversing through a map, like you're actually progressing through a map like you would during the campaign, like you're going through the levels um, as you fight through enemies. Um, But, man, I like this co-op. I had more fun in this co-op than I did in the the single-player campaign, honestly. Um, I like the the character um, progression tree a lot better. Um, Like we talked about, we talked briefly about how you get um, like the health bonuses um, with the chip upgrades in the single player campaign. But I feel like with the co-op skill tree, you didn't even have to worry about that. It was kind of linear. It was more like a tree the way you um, progress through it. Um, I liked how they researched weapons. That was, I don't know. It gives you like a, a goal that that to me would make this co-op a lot more replayable because I would find certain weapons that I grew attached to and I wanted to get all the upgrades for them. So that right there creates the replay value in it. And I mean, just I mean, part of it too is depends on who you're playing with. Um, I don't know how popular this, um, this gameplay mode was, but, um, I could definitely see this still being fun, even if you're matched up with like, um, random players, like, and not necessarily in a, um, in a party. Um, cause I mean, it's kind of just, just, oh, go ahead. I just wanted to throw it out there. Uh, so we started the syndicate, like you can kind of start like a quote unquote syndicate or a clan. And our ranking, uh, I think this is cumulative, like our cumulative experience and our cumulative playtime. Um, but our ranking right now is 7,210. Our total playtime, and I said this cumulative between the four of us, is fourteen, uh, almost uh, 14 hours and 45 minutes. And the number one ranked is 64 days and 16 hours. So we have a long ways to go, and like even like in the top fifteen, like the the shortest amount of time I see in the top fifteen is seventeen days. So like people put time in this, and it, I'm it's, telling it, you, this is a Black Mirror episode <laughs> waiting to be created. But I mean, honestly, EA did create a, a new game like this. It's it's Mass Effect Andromeda. Like the co-op is. Is basically the same as the co-op from Mass Effect. You mean 3. Mass Effect Three? You said Andromeda. Yeah, and Andromeda is just the co-op in Andromeda is just like the co-op in Mass Effect Three. 
So that would oh, be like gotcha. the 2017 version of it. Like Giant Bomb's worst game of the year, 2017. Did it have all the micro it, Yes, it did. You had to pay for um, like the Krogan race in order to play as. Um, eh. But yeah, we, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> all right. Uh, let, me, let me kick it to Dante. This co-op is butt. I did not enjoy a second of it. I, literally after mission one, I was ready to drop out, but everybody else was being good sports, so I thought I'd be a good sport as well. Um, <laughs> how do I even structure this? I don't want to dunk on it because I know I have very specific taste in games, especially when it comes to multiplayer. Um... It's serviceable. It it's serviceable, but what I mostly have an issue with is that thirty seconds of fun I was talking about back in the single player. I feel like it it completely forgot about that and said, "What if we just kind of dumbed down the player and made it four players instead?" And what if we made it? If what if we actually did that complaint from episode one, where we made everything into bullets? Hey, Greg, do you have a brother or sister? Uh, yeah, I got an older. Okay, brother. because that definitely sounds like only child syndrome right there. <laughs> <laughs> this dude's like, I can't. I want to take my ball and go home because this isn't fun for me, and like, <laughs> not even take into account like. I don't want to play, like, you didn't have any fun playing with us, is that what you're saying? Like, there was, you didn't got no enjoyment on the teamwork or any, anything. Dude, I was so ready to drop you guys. Like, from second one, I was ready to, like, say, forget this. I'd rather just go back to my single player, have unlimited use of my powers, because freaking cooldowns take forever in multiplayer. And I'm like, why am I even bothering? I'm just going to shoot at these guys until they kill me. Hopefully one of my teammates will revive me. I really don't care. They'll pick me up. I'll keep running. You had like the polar opposite. <laughs> the polar opposite experience that I had. Because I, I, I really like the variety and the powers. And you're right. They did take a long time to pop up. But that just meant that you had to use it when it was important. for like If you notice all the powers that you use in the single player, they're not like buffs to you they're just ways to take out the enemies and in this one they were buffs to your teammates so like you had to be more of like a support and like there there was more teamwork required in this and like it almost kind of forced in a sense because uh we we kind of picked our loadouts i felt like anyways based off of what our team you know everybody needed so like you had the damage link one to boost everybody's uh damage output i had the shielding one to get everybody's shielding trevor had the squad heal to heal us up and everything and uh i I thought there was a lot of strategy and uh depth in that granted we played on normal which was pretty easy for the most part but i guarantee like in the the harder difficulties that stuff mattered and not to say that we needed to play on the harder difficulties for you to have fun but like i definitely could see the uh why people have put 65 days into co-op mode because it definitely uh was hitting all the things that i that every I minute i played of this felt like a day <laughs> being extra 
Uh, is there anything else that anybody wants to say about the co-op? Because I, I think we can we can kind of wrap it up and wrap up the show. Nah, I think that's it. I honestly like I I, I was reading about the co-op. I also at first I didn't want to play the co-op. Like I just wanted the single player. But then I did some reading about the co-op, and a lot of people were saying like, "Why does this feel so different than the single player?" And it wasn't necessarily because I felt any type of way pro or con about the single player, but because I heard it was so different than the single player, I wanted to play it. And ultimately, I didn't necessarily feel like it was personally. I didn't feel like it was that different. Um, I felt like it was more fun to have my homies there with me, and I like I, I like the strategy and the the different types of abilities and all that. And I ultimately I enjoyed the co op more than the single player. Um, and like straight up, I w- I would recommend this game off the strength of the co op. Like I would say, yeah, that's a good game, but make sure you have some friends that you can play it with. Is is what I would tell somebody if I was to recommend them to get Syndicate. I say. Single player is cool, but it, you're there for the co-op. It, you, if you can get like two or three other friends that you can play it with, you'll be you'll be straight. Anything else that you guys want to add? All right. Uh, do we got it? Do we got any emails, Greg? Um, let me check. I don't <laughs> think we did. I, no, I, I, I've got it set up on my phone, um, so I didn't see anything come through. So I don't think we got anything. Okay, so we, we'll, we'll go into the plug. So I'll, I'll start with you, Greg. Um, if you guys got any feedback or any uh, you know, questions or anything you want to share with us, um, you can email us at um, misscheckpoints at gmail dot com. Um, easiest way to get in contact with with us, or you can also post on our Facebook page. Um. We also uh, got a little bit of content up there, so if you guys want to drop any comments there, you can follow us there as well. Trevor? Oh, hold on. Do I need to do personal plugs now? Wait, wait, wait. I think we might have got an Trap. email. Trap. Oh, snap. You, go ahead, man. <laughs> this is breaking news. Wait, all right. What's the email? <laughs> What's the email? Uh, oh, this is... Uh... <laughs> from Dante and he says syndicate co-op is butt boo <laughs> well that person what are, you know uh, uh, definitely you definitely don't want to be friends with hey somebody man, like that first, first email last email probably best email <laughs> we forgot to turn on the spam filter <laughs> right right <laughs> delete <laughs> Um, let's go with you, Trevor. What's your plugs? Man? Uh, you can find me at my petition on change.org to bring this co-op onto the new generation consoles. <laughs> and you can also find me on Twitter, um, Xbox Live, PlayStation Network at Lyric Unsung. Uh, Dante? You can find me hating on Syndicate Co-op. You can find me hating on millennials, the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, all of them, somewhere online. But I'm not going to reveal that location right now. Um, you can find me uh, right underneath Trevor's name on that petition and right in line uh, with Dante hating on baby boomers. But then the only person here hating on cereal because that stuff's not good. Um, yeah. And potato salad everywhere else. You know how to spell it, or you can try. Um, I guess with that, that concludes uh, our second part of Syndicate and our 
January game. So next month is my month, and we have two games on the docket. We got Papo EO and Hotline Miami, and we have opted to start with Papo EO. So uh, if you're playing along with us and not letting us know, <laughs> um, just play through the entire game because we're going to be talking about our next episode. It's going to be one of one uh, Papo EO discussion. So. Until next time, we are Miss Checkpoints. Peace. <laughs>